These shall be my flames of regency. From this moment forward, they shall mark the ruler of this realm. So speaks Dormammu, Lord of the Dark Dimension. Bienvenidos and welcome to New Island, a place for nerdy fun, friendships, and learning. Much like the starting zone of many video games, the goal of our residents is to lay down a fundamental understanding of a geeky concept for a newcomer before sending them out on their way into the wild world of nerdery. Our subject this time around is curious about magic in the Marvel Universe. Professor Z, what's our lesson for today? Dormammu, Clea, and the Dark Dimension. ba 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 yeah, I don't really have a theme for that planned out. But I can come up with something. That's fine. That's good. Do we want a Dark Dimension theme? I'll come up with a Dark Dimension theme. You're making me laugh while I'm drinking here. Um, Use that clip from last week. Yeah. <laughs> Anyways, Dark Dimension. I was thinking about the, in our one of our other podcasts, uh, General Nerdery, we did an episode on the back history of Mortal Kombat. Yes. And I learned all sorts of things about dimensions and combining dimensions together, like in Mortal Kombat, and did not realize how much that was like, I'm reading a freaking Mortal Kombat story. Or did they just steal this from the dark dimension? Maybe a little bit. <laughs> Wouldn't surprise me. Um, I did have the thought and like, think about this as you're listening to some of this story. How good this story would be if you retold it in a modern setting, not Modern like modern day, but like modern comic style. Give it a slightly more direct fantasy edge and tell the story from Clea's point of view. Mm. As opposed to, and then Doctor Strange went to this weird place again. And you could do kind of like Game of Thrones power structure. I hate to say Game of Thrones because I did not like those books, but uh, <laughs> uh, you get the idea of like the intrigue. Right. Anyways, before we get to the Dark Dimension, we are first going to talk about the Faultine, which is the species of... Dormammu. I will not stop saying it that way. I'm sorry, guys. Um, Wait, who are we talking about? Dormammu. <laughs> and Umar. Yes. Who I like way better than Dormammu as an adult. Like, as a kid, Dormammu so, had a flaming head. We should really mention Umar because the story we read is extremely Umar heavy. Oh, yes. No, I that was on purpose. Yes. Um, <laughs> When I, but when I was a kid, I was like, Dormammu has a flaming head. Umar's some lady. Why do I care? And as an adult, I'm like, Umar is like queen ruler lady, even if she's evil. And Dormammu is some dude with a flaming head. Like, complete shift in priorities. <laughs> Anyways. Dormammu and Umar are, are of a species known as the Faultine. They are a magical species of uh, energy. They don't have physical forms on their own. We have seen them before in some of the previous stories that we read. They all look like Dormammu with slightly different uh, clothes. And in theory, and I'm not fully sure how this one works, just because the more I thought about it, the less sense it made. When they spawn, they're just making basically recreations of themselves. The part that confuses me is they have different names and clans that compete against each other. 
Mm. And how does that work when you are spawning just copies? Because in theory, there would have to have been like the first fall team. <laughs> the first of the fall team. Yes. I want to write that story. Sure. <laughs> you and I should be comic creators. We talk about this many times over on General Nerdery. The, the fall team go along this way until one fall team, Cinefer, decides to create children. He creates Dormammu and Umar. Umar originally looks like a fall team like the rest of them. For whatever reason, these two are different than the other faulting, and they want a physical form, amongst other things. Cinefer finds out, and he's like, whoa, guys, whoa. No, 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 this is not what we do. In this house, we do not take physical form. <laughs> <laughs> so they kill him by transforming him into a physical form? I don't know if that was, like, the test subject of, like, let's see how this works, or if, I don't know, maybe they turn him into rock or something. Either way, they kill their father by turning him into physical form. The other Faltine are super not okay with this, and they banish them to the Dark Dimension. Uh, also giving them physical form. So from what I can tell, they were probably like, yeah, this, this works great, thanks. <laughs> the Faltine are insanely powerful to the point that they are a principality, like we mentioned in the first episode, so you can draw power from them. Strange often uses spells like the Flames of the Faltine. Really, if it starts with an F, it's probably Faltine. Strange loves to rhyme. Uh, he also likes fire. And he likes fire. I like fire. It is an easy <laughs> it is an easy way to like show power or magic in comic books. Mm. The Dark Dimension is a former hell plane. Like, there is multiple hells in uh, Marvel that are basically just magic dimensions in their own right where the dead go to. If the dead go there and it sucks, it's a hell. Yes, basically. <laughs> they are pretty major point. They're pretty powerful points of the kind of alternate dimensions that we're seeing here. But something happens in the far off past... And the Dark Dimension is shattered into just tiny, broken little dimensions. So, like, the Maze of Madness is part of that? Yeah. Okay. From this point on, the Dark Dimension will be known also as the Splinter Realms, which is kind of cool, but makes me think of Ninja Turtles. Can't help myself. <laughs> and also, the Archipelago of Anguish. <laughs> I like that one. Which is baller. <laughs> It's not an archipelago, no. but it is a baller name. <laughs> that is amazing. Multiple species live in the Dark Dimension. You see them throughout the book that we'll be discussing here. Uh, the only one that I have a name for are the... We are going to guess on pronunciation here, and then I will spell it for you so you understand why I am guessing on pronunciation here. Mahuruk. M-H-U-R-U-U-K-S. Yeah, 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 that's close enough to me. <laughs> the oh. Murricks, <laughs> uh, <laughs> who look human. They're basically human, except they live an insanely long amount of time, and they are natu naturally magic-powered people. They absorb over time, right? Yeah, well, and just they are very attuned to using magic. Magic is part of their civilization, and the way technology is a part of ours. Yeah, because isn't this instead kind of, of soaking up vitamin D, they vitamin soak up some of that vitamin M. Got it. <laughs> like I think, and the last time we we were doing this, like they compared the dark dimension 
ecliptic is a polar opposite to Earth, where Earth has, like, physics and stuff. This mm-hmm. is this, the equivalent in magic world of... Yes. I think uh, technology magic is a really right. simple way of putting it. And then we put in cosmic, who are bits of both, and that's when it gets confusing. Cool. The original ruler of the Mahuruk was a man named Olnar, who, according to this comic, is bright blue, and I do not know why, because none of the other Mahuruks are as shown as that. And his son isn't that blue. Yeah. Olinar isn't. <laughs> also, his son is one letter away from being Olimar from Pikmin, so... Uh... I mean, he could be. He was banished from the film. <laughs> I'm, now I'm just imagining him using fucking mindless ones. <laughs> Throw my mindless ones! Anyways, we'll get there. We won't. That doesn't happen. But... And just, like, color-coding the mindless one. Anyway. <laughs> uh, Olnar, ruler of the Dark Dimension at the time, which is much smaller and more fractured at the time, uh, dreamed of Days of Empire when he runs into what he thinks are these two wizards, Darmamu and Umar, because they both have human appearances. They teach him uh, much more powerful spells, how to access greater powers, and how to merge other dimensions into his to become more powerful. This is the part that feels like Mortal Kombat. This is basically what Shao Kahn has been doing All for, like, 15 Mortal Kombat games. Yeah. Um, He's like, ooh, I like this dimension over I'll here. Take that one. That's I'll mine. That one. This goes really well until it doesn't. Because they break into a realm of just the mindless ones. The mindless ones have destroyed... And replicated themselves until there is nothing left but the mindless ones in this realm. The mindless ones are these kind of golem-looking things with, like, Cyclops laser blasts mm. created by a demon. It's not a demon prince. He's a, a, a duke of hell named Lord Plakta. Oh, yeah, yeah, him. Yeah, yeah, you know. I didn't know goes. he made those. Okay. Uh, <laughs> He will come up in one of our later readings, and I had forgotten he created the Mindless Ones until his name came up, and I went, hey. (laughs) Uh, The problem is, there's not really a way to defeat the Mindless Ones, because they just replicate and fight. Replicate and fight. Mm. And even if you destroy them, they'll just kind of keep creating. So the most you can do is kind of pen them up. So the power they taught him, they're, what, what was the term used again? For them, like their power level for uh, principality principalities. Were they just secretly loaning him their power that whole time? Cause they knew exactly what they were doing and they're like, yeah, we'll keep doing this and then he'll die. And then it's possible or possibly they were setting him up to uh, steal the power he was, you know, getting from these mergers himself. Mm. Mm. Um, I don't know if there has ever been a comic showing this happen as much as flashbacks like we see in this week's reading Mm -hmm. of like, hey, this is how I got their power. It's another thing of why I would love a like alternate universe that comic that focuses on the dark dimension and start with like his family and go through a couple generations of like that leading up to Clea and Mm -hmm. Clea being everything that she proves she can be. They probably, if I had to guess, I would say they probably didn't have to loan them much of their own power. I think it was more like the sort of shadowy uh, figures behind the throne where he's already from a people that absorb magic. So all they all they have to do is like be there, teach him some. Yeah. Like he doesn't know spells. He just naturally does things because 
his people naturally absorb magic. Mm. So being able to direct that and then being like, hey, you know how cool this feels to be like super powerful now? You can also do this to take these other realms and you could be even more powerful. And they're, they probably just didn't tell them like, also, absorbing those realms make us way more powerful mm -hmm. because we are just super feeding off the dark dimension <laughs> right now. Uh, and there's also the question of do they have enough power at that time to really give any of it away? I mean, they would still be way more powerful than like Ulnar, but they just got kicked out of the Feltine, basically. Mm. They probably lost a whole lot of access when they were banished. Right. So okay. they set up this like new feeding system. But so if you go into an alternate dimension, does that really affect your power level because dr strange does that all the time and he seems to still have his um maybe not this is conjecture on my part i should say that before we go farther on this but i when i think about like banished you don't usually banish someone and leave them all of the things that they were using to mess that's, with you that's fair so i wouldn't be surprised if the faultina rock go away and also we're gonna take some of this back now you you can't have this bye <laughs> like, <laughs> Apparently, in my mind's eye, the Faltine all speak, like, weirdly super chill while dealing with them. They don't um, have physical form. <laughs> <laughs> Come on, guys. Don't bring us down. So, anyways, the mindless ones attack. And attack. And attack. And attack. And most of the Mahuric wizards are killed. Including Olnar. They will later try and pass it off as like, oh, we stepped in as regent and helped. I am pretty sure that they actively were like, let's throw them to the mindless ones. Let's do this. <laughs> Take over, seize the power, seize the power of the dark dimension, and they get the flame of regency kind of thing. Face, face flame. Yeah, it looks cool. At this point, Dormammu returns to his flamey headed form. Umar doesn't. Why is not quite explained. Uh, she was injured during this fight, which is why Dormammu was the one that took command. So it's possible she couldn't at the time, but for whatever reason, she remains human appearing. She also mentioned she was like trapped by Dormammu for a while. That will come up in just a moment. Yeah, maybe she just likes looking pretty. She is pretty. That's like a big thing about her. For the next several thousand years, Dormammu will rule with an Iron Fist. Not an Iron Fist Marvel style. I probably should have picked a different example thing. But <laughs> he rules with an Iron Fist, not, not the, the Iron, Iron Fist. Fist. Yes, exactly. <laughs> During this time, he encounters the Celestials, who are giant weirdo space gods. He encounters Zeus. He makes a pact with Thor that is probably some kind of like, not a peace agreement, but a non-aggression pact. Thor, you go deal with your dimensions. I'll deal with mine. Stay away from me. Dormammu insists that uh, Odin treats him with dread. That he dreads him. He is the dread Dormammu. <laughs> and as far as I can tell, Odin's response is like, look, dude. I'll say I dread you if sure, somebody fine. asks. I will call you dread Dormammu. <laughs> but it's kind of like someone coming in and being like, my nickname's Chief. To his credit, at this point, he is on about Odin's scale of powerful, making him one of the most powerful creatures in all of the Marvel Universe. But he's also, as you may have noticed in our readings here, a raging egotist. Like, puts Doctor Strange to shame in his ego. And that's impressive. And that's very impressive. So, he might not be regarded with quite as much dread 
You know, I will burn the Celestials to ashes. No, you won't. <laughs> During this time, which again could be thousands of years, could be millions of years, especially with magic characters, time is very poorly defined in Marvel. Uh, well, it, and it's another dimension. And so. it's another dimension. And it's a super fractured dimension, as we've seen here. During this time, Umar has a tryst with Olinar, son of Olnar, resulting in the birth of Clea. She's really disgusted by the process, which, if you had never had human form before and suddenly discovered what sex was, not just like the fun parts, but sex is kind of gross if you think about it, like, at all. I don't blame her. Yeah. Uh, although she will later become much more of a seductress, so it might have been an initial more, you what? She delivers Clea, decides she will not have Clea, doesn't want anything to do with her, don't even tell me I'm her mom, and it gets even worse when she discovers that after giving birth, she physically can't transform back to her Faultine appearance anymore. Okay. Uh, one version of the story is she goes a little more nutso after discovering she can't transform back and attacks, and Dormammu is forced to seal her away. In others, Dormammu's a jerk, attacks his sister, and seals her away. Both are possible. Both are probably true simultaneously, if we're <laughs> yeah. being honest here. Yeah. She was probably unhinged by something she was wildly unprepared for, and Dormammu's a jerk. And also wildly unhinged. For the rest of this story... A lot of it will be what I'm kind of starting to dub the Dormammu Umar games, okay. which is ally, betray each other, one of them gets banished. Ally, betray each other, one of them gets banished. And just flip a coin to see which one's going to land which way. Clea's <laughs> <laughs> um, connections are hidden. Uh, I don't think even Dormammu knows about his connection. Olinar will serve as the chief disciple of Dormammu and the... Chief of the guards, he's basically their right-hand man. That isn't blue. That isn't blue. Yes, like his dad. Don't know why. Somewhere in... We know it would have been before the 1600s, because we have stuff here, but somewhere in the past, Dormammu begins p poking at the Earth dimension, at Earth itself. Okay. Uh, he goes up against Agamotto, the original... Sorcerer Supreme a couple of times, but the person he goes up against most often for a long period of time is Yao, the Ancient One, Doctor Strange's mentor. Mentor. Yao pants him every time. I don't know if he literally pants him. Probably once. At least once. <laughs> <laughs> I'm the Ancient One. You can't tell me what to do. That's what you get. <laughs> Never one laugh. Not you, Mordor. <laughs> Thinking of Mordo, Dormammu takes Mordo on as his minion. Uh, not really disciple, but Mordo being Mordo, as we have noticed here, starts sacrificing people to Dormammu. And Yao must know about it because he knows that Mordo is like working for Dormammu and trying to turn him against him. But in classic Ancient One style, it's just like, that scamp. <laughs> I'll stop him. He's going through a phase. Oh, he's having a rebellious time. Usually. Uh, also, forgot to mention this on the one note before this. Dormammu is also directly responsible for Jack the Ripper. 
Interesting. In this world, Jack was, I'm not sure if he was influenced by Dormammu or was trying to gain power through Dormammu, but he definitely killed those poor Whitechapel girls for Dormammu. Interesting. Mm-hmm. Hmm. He also appears as an undead pirate attacking heaven in uh, an X-Men comic, but that's not this. Jack the Ripper? Yes. What? I got to look into this. <laughs> Yes. Absolutely fantastic. (laughs) During World War II, Dormammu ends up going up against Captain America and Bucky after he's summoned by the Red Skull. Oh, yeah. (laughs) A little different in how it's done here, but yeah. Captain America punches Dormammu in the face long before Doctor Strange ever gets to do it. (laughs) Years later, after Doctor Strange and Spidey stop Mordo from a whatever plot, Dormammu goes, hey, it's kind of weird that the Ancient One isn't doing the stopping here. He always does the stopping. This is our thing. And decides that maybe the Ancient One's losing power. So he literally reaches out to Yao and says, hey, I'm going to invade the Earth. Try and stop me. And then the Ancient One sends Doctor Strange to stop and he's like, He is running out of power. Cool, I'm just going to kill his apprentice then. Unfortunately, that doesn't work because Doctor Strange takes out all of his minions and then takes up enough of Dormammu's power that the ancient, or not the ancient, that the mindless ones, there's a lot of ones in this story, that the mindless ones... You know, those ones. (laughs) Thank you. uh, Are able to break through the barrier that Dormammu had been using to hold them back in their own little corner of the Dark Dimension. Strange being like, well, that's probably not a good thing. Donates his power to Dormammu to to re-erect the barrier. In return, beyond just, you know, all of the innocent civilians of the Dark Dimension not dying... He frees Clea, who had been helping Doctor Strange in this entire battle, and swears that he will never invade the Earth. He can't even step foot on it. Mm. This oath becomes a major part of Dormammu's character for the rest of the thing. Mm. Almost all Dormammu stories, unless he's going to war with Umar over the Dark Dimension again, is him trying to get around his oath to not just walk onto Earth. Mm. It has largely been broken, but it took, like, 20, 25 years of comic book storytelling. Oh, you mean how, like, Shao Kahn just grabs dimensions all the time? Yeah, exactly. I'll just move this dimension. I'll just move Earth into this dimension. Not my fault now. (laughs) Elder gods are just like, oh, no, that's cool. That's fine. Whatever. (laughs) Seriously. Shao Kahn versus Dormammu. Like, I know we got DC versus Mortal Kombat, but I think it should have been Marvel versus Mortal Kombat. Clea returns to Earth with Strange, quickly falls in love with him, and quickly becomes his apprentice. I have some ethics of dating your student, but sure. Uh, in most of her early appearances, if we're being honest, she's less than useless. Because, God love him, Stan Lee did not write strong female characters. People took his female characters and made them strong female characters. But Lee, if you were a woman or a teacher, you were pretty much a hostage. So guess what the Ancient One and... Um, Clea were used for, for like 15, 20 years. After multiple failed attempts to indirectly attack Earth, Dormammu goes mad, mad-er, loses any rationality that he had, 
and attacks Eternity, who again is the physical manifestation of all existence. Mm -hmm. That includes Dormammu. This goes about as well as you would expect. It's like, why are you hitting yourself? <laughs> yeah, literally, yes. <laughs> Bam, ow, ow. Um, this goes about as well as you would expect, and Eternity banishes Dormammu off to a far-off dimension, never to be seen again. Bum, bum, bum. Except we probably see One him. month later. Except he's almost immediately seen again. Oh, no. But before that... Umar is freed by Dormammu's banishment, because suddenly his power's not keeping it there. Mm. The barrier holding the Mindless One back seems to still exist, and we just don't worry about that from that point on. Cool. The Thunderdome still is there. Sure. Uh, Umar kidnaps Clea, because, again, kidnaps Clea. After rescuing her, the Ancient One convinces them that the only way Clea will ever be safe from... Umar, who does not know Clea, or who they do not know as Clea's mother at this stage, the only way she'll be safe from her is to disappear off to a far-off dimension and hide. Earth. No, no, they're on Earth at this time. She, oh. uh, Umar keeps trying to attack, and Umar does not have the I shall not interfere with Earth thing that Dormammu has at this mm. stage. So they agree... And Clea goes off to a far-off dimension. Bum, bum, bum. And it just so happens to be the exact same dimension that Dormammu was banished to. <laughs> so to escape Umar, they sent her to her crappier brother. <laughs> Dormammu traps Strange as he attempts to find Clea, because he's like, yes, you should go. You know who I should find? Clea. <laughs> Clea manipulates Umar into freeing them both. Clea and Strange escape to Earth. Dormammu returns to the Dark Dimension. Teaming up with Loki in the story that we almost read for this, because it's one of my all-time favorite comic book storylines, uh, Dormammu manipulates the Avengers and the Defenders into what will be known as the Avengers-Defenders War, which is the first crossover comic book between two different books in comic book history. Hmm. It has a lot to answer for on that front, but it itself is pretty good. Both teams pursue a relic known as the Evil Eye that the villains hope to steal from them. Okay. This goes about as well as you would expect, because they eventually go, Man, we're being manipulated by Loki and Tormammu. Like, that's a bad idea. And they just team up to beat them up instead. Which you can do when you have two really insanely powerful teams. Um, and by this was point... Was this Super Defender's team? This was... Silver Surfer, Hulk, Hawkeye was working for the Defenders at that time, but still, Valkyrie. So he was even more useless than normal? Yes, exactly. Valkyrie, Namor. Okay, so Hawkeye was really useful. <laughs> <laughs> uh, strange, yeah. And then on the other side, Swordsman, Iron Man, I think Beast was involved in the Avengers at the time. So Hawkeye was for... getting sandwiches for the rest. Yes! Wow. <laughs> That's a whole different conversation. That's a whole different thing. We could just do, why is Hawkeye so useless, but why do I like him anyways? Why is Hawkeye? Because <laughs> uh, he's Hawkeye. Hawkeye. Um, we should point out, at this point, Dormammu is no longer seeming to operate on Odin levels of power and is somewhere closer to Loki. Which means when Thor hits him, it hurts now. Well, before he would have been like, dude. Dude. Cute. <laughs> 
Dormammu and Umar spend several uh, years teaming up, betraying each other, failing to conquer Earth, stealing the Dark Dimension from one another. Eventually, Umar ends up ruling the Dark Dimension herself. Uh, as I said, this is the point that is kind of the Dormammu-Umar games. Who controls it at this point? Up in the air. The writer might have forgotten who controlled it last time we visited there, and just decided for themselves which one they wanted in charge. I imagine there is this, like, just... 300-issue comic series of these two constantly, like, plotting against each other. Clea spends years on Earth as the lover and pupil of Strange, as we already mentioned, and an ally of the Defenders. But eventually, she leaves to lead the Resistance in the Dark Dimension. Strange keeps his distance to not draw attention to them. Underestimating Clea, Umar assumes that Strange is behind the Rebellion. She draws him into the fight, and then... that goes about as well as you would hope. I'm using that phrase a lot today, I apologize. Uh, together, Strange and Clea learn her true parentage, overthrow Umar, and Clea takes over the Dark Dimension, getting the cool flamey thing, which will be part of her look for the next few years at this point. Did she have that when she forgot about Strange? No, Umar was wearing it with the comic that we read last episode. Got it, okay. You probably just didn't think too much of it, because you didn't really know who Umar was or what that meant. Nope. I noticed it. I thought that was fun. <laughs> While Strange is off in astral form, Dormammu possesses Strange, leaving, like, looking literally like Doctor Strange, just with Dormammu's flaming head flying around, causing havoc on Earth. Nice. Being like, this is fine, you see? I'm not here, you're here. <laughs> Strange, whose astral form is trapped in the body of a rat, and his ally Topaz managed to exorcise him. Clea and Strange marry in a mystical ceremony, bonding them together on multiple levels and tying their power together. So they're not just, like, legally married, their powers are literally blended together. So they can borrow power from each other in a similar way that you would be able to, like, a principality, from what I understand. Okay. Umar retakes the Dark Dimension. Again. Banishing Clea, who is admittedly spending about half of her time on Earth at this point, so probably not being the best leader of all time. Dormammu disguises himself as another Faltine named Filks. I believe Filks. I don't have that written down for some reason. Uh, and manipulates Clea into going in and trying to attack. Overthrowing her again, Dormammu sweeps in, takes the whole prize. Umar, Mordo, Strange, and Clea all team up to take on Dormammu. Umar eventually convinces Dormammu to make a deal. You'll get half of the Dark Dimension, I'll get half of the Dark Dimension, we'll just start from there. But she tricks him and gives him the half of the Dark Dimension that all of the mindless ones are in, and just kind of like sticks him in the bubble and says, have fun. <laughs> Welcome to Thundertown. Welcome to the Thundertown. <laughs> Her and Baron Mordo, who at this point is tired of being Dormammu's minion, rule the Dark Dimension together for a little while until Dormammu retakes it again sucking both Umar and Mordo into his body and stealing their powers. They later both reappear, completely unexplained why. How they broke out. Another common comic book thing. They're gone forever! How'd you get out? Yeah. It was here. Belly Look, body. man, we got 22 pages. Let's get moving here. <laughs> Is that really the question you want to answer right now? <laughs> Clea eventually leaves Strange to rejoin the Resistance. From this point on... Clea doesn't really get significant time in Marvel Comics, which is disappointing because at this point, she actually is 
proving herself a powerful character in her own right, as opposed to her former damsel status. Mm -hmm. And she becomes one of my favorite characters in the entire Strange canon. Umar and Dormammu continue their power games, but from this point on, Dormammu seems more focused on conquering Earth, while Umar is more focused on the Dark Dimension. These days when Dormammu pops up, it's usually some plot against Earth. We don't spend as much time in the Dark Dimension. So, I don't know if he just isn't interested in the power. We see him serving as a Hell Lord a couple times, so he has he might have new power sources in his own rights. It, it is really unclear other than they're like, well, we're going to use Dormammu, I guess he's attacking Earth. Interestingly, Umar seems to become interested in the Hulk, uh, using him in multiple schemes and at more than one point becoming his lover and or consort. What the? Okay. So she went from sex is weird and gross and it literally drove me mad to Come here, I'm Hulk. going to sleep with the Hulk. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> Something had to happen to bump up to that level. <laughs> when Strange and the Order, which we talked about last week, which were the original five defenders, decide to take over the Earth to save it, Clea goes back to Earth, teams up with the other defenders, and takes him down. Later on, a villain named Parker Robbins, also known as the Hood, who was a crime lord with a magic, mostly, I think, teleporting cloak. It might have had some other ill-defined powers, but he mostly teleported and shot a bunch of people. Uh, Pretty simple. He's who, really cool in Marvel Puzzle Quest. I actually like him as a character, but he's not a wildly deep character either. He's a two-bit thug that got a cloak and decided to become a crime lord and proved surprisingly good at it. Sometimes simple is best. But at one point, it is revealed that his powers, which he thought came from random demon number seven, actually come from Dormammu. Dormammu unleashes him on Doctor Strange because Doctor Strange had just lost the right to be the Sorcerer Supreme, and Dormammu thought this was a great time to kill him for revenge and get the power of the Sorcerer Supreme himself. Uh, the Hood ends up going against both Strange and the New Avengers, which are people like Spider-Man, Luke Cage, Wolverine, Mockingbird at the time, Captain Marvel, and is eventually defeated by Brother Voodoo, who from this point on will be known as Dr. Voodoo, the current Sorcerer Supreme. That's not true. Dr. Strange took that back. But he was the current Sorcerer Supreme for the next, like, five years of comics. Yeah. So why didn't... So why did he take the Doctor title, Dr. Voodoo? <laughs> I don't... Because the... I've always kind of wondered that myself, honestly. Um, I think they were trying to really show kind of the upgrade of his thing. But you could just call him the Sorcerer Supreme, and you're like, cool. I get it. But he's not a doctor. I mean, neither is Dr. Druid, but he keeps doing it. I mean... It's a comic book thing. <laughs> <laughs> I think Dr. Druid has his has his doctorate. I wouldn't be surprised, actually. Uh, because Well, we didn't go into it too much, but there's the storyline after where Strange mm -hmm. re-becomes uh, Surgeon Supreme. Yeah. And um, Druid is his superior at the hospital. And it's not through, like, normal Druidy means. Oh, at least not at first. There. Okay. Yeah. Uh, Druid will come up <clears throat> in, not next episode, but the episode after when we talk about other random sorcerers that mm -hmm. come up. 
So, Clea and Strange eventually divorce after being separated for several years. I am going to have to put in some conjecture here, because really what it was is I think people forgot Doctor Strange was married for a long time after Clea was written out of the book, because modern authors took Strange in a pretty in a kind of weird direction. People had flirted with Doctor Strange for years. He was always portrayed as being attractive, uh, attractive to women, but not so much as like operating as a playboy mm -hmm. until somewhere after the oath where they start treating him as magic Tony Stark. Part of this is the popularity of Tony Stark after the movie started coming out, I think. Okay. And the other part is they just looked similar and they're like, sure, what the heck? And they're both very... And they're both egotists. So yeah. it's pretty easy to translate. You notice the playboy thing does not wildly like misfit him. But I was trying to think of in-universe reasons of why he would go from I am married and in a relationship and, you know, very monogamous to one issue has him with, like, escorts and superhero outfits. It's wildly out of character. I don't, like, I am mentioning it because it's a thing that happens, but no one else really wants to mention it. Uh, it is one of the reasons Clea uses to, like, actually go for a divorce. My personal headcanon thing is Clea disappears. He has been basically separated for years, even if the divorce isn't official. Mm -hmm. He starts dating again with the night nurse and the oath. And then after that, probably goes through a like, how do I want to put? Well, playboy face. You know, my marriage is over. This relationship didn't really work out, but it was nice. It ended on relatively good terms from what I can tell. Let's go be a player for a while, as I doubt my own mortality or something like that. Yeah. But Clea officially gets a divorce from him. She later comes back because he had been using his... Uh, they, they hadn't gotten rid of their mystical connection. Mm -hmm. And they do a magic contract thingy to cancel out the mystic connection as well. Mm -hmm. So they are no longer connected in any way, shape, or form, and are now completely unique individuals from a magical sense as well. Mm -hmm. Uh, though they do confirm themselves as, like, really hardcore friends and allies. Not a fan of it myself. As I said, big Clea fan, but it is what it is. Mm. While attempting to stop Galactus, who has become addicted to magic energy, Clea and Strange rekindle their romantic interest. Though to get Mephisto's aid, Strange is forced to sacrifice Clea's memories of him, since Mephisto seems to have become addicted to petty crap like this. Mm. I honestly think that after he steals Peter Parker's marriage, which we'll talk about in the Mephisto episode, but not read that comic. I will not read one more day <laughs> ever again. Uh, I think it's just like heroin for his veins at that point. Just like, yes, mm, give me your memories of your girlfriend. Magic is just heroin in general. <laughs> yeah, it, it's just, Dr. Strange aside, it generally doesn't go well for people. And honestly, <laughs> it doesn't go great for Strange, too. It's just... Being Stephen Strange is worse for him than the magic is. Yeah. True. Very true. So there we have an extremely truncated version, kind of truncated version, of Mephisto, Clea, ooh, not Mephisto, Dormammu. 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 Clea, Umar, and the Dark Dimension. Awesome. <laughs> uh, let's take a short break and then we'll actually talk about the story that we read. At some point, we should really figure out what our transfer is for that. <laughs> So, Into the Dark Dimension, the storyline that we're reading here is 
one of the last stories in a long Roger Stern run. Roger Stern is from the what's kind of dubbed the third generation of Marvel creators. He came about the same time as people like Frank Miller. Interestingly, in I'm a nerd way. Stern is one of my favorite Marvel creators between this and a run on Spider-Man. He did some and on Avengers. He did a lot of really amazing things. I also constantly mess his name up with a previous editor in chief of Marvel Comics called Roy Thomas. Mm. So if I do that here, if I say Roy Thomas, who also had a really big Doctor Strange run. You mean Stern. I mean Stern. We did an episode of General Nerdery where I got it wrong, corrected myself, and then got it wrong again in the same episode. And I didn't notice until <laughs> don't know why. I'm like our names, they must be the same person. But anyways, this is the second to last issue of this like run. Not mm. issue, uh, storyline. Mm. So this is, really is the culmination of a long time of uh, Stern writing Doctor Strange. This is also not the earliest comic we're going to read on this show, but it is the earliest one we've read so far. Our first book came out around 2005-ish, give or take a year or two. The most recent one we read was in 2018. This one is somewhere around 1984, 1985. Mm -hmm. So I guess first off, as someone who hasn't been reading this issue since he was a boy, uh, what did you guys think? You go for it. I, <laughs> I have a feeling I might have a little bit more experience with these older comics. I am sure you do. Um, I was not prepared for the first issue we read with the Black... Is it Black Knight? I super forgot that the Black Knight storyline was in this run that I was giving you. It was like a super like Arthurian like chanting and rhyming. I was like, that's not at all how, what he did in the last set we read. And then, and then it changed to like, war is bad, don't use nukes. And then... Where's the lie, though? I, I'm not disagreeing. <laughs> and then, then it went all the way to uh, a Silver War. It was it was a ride, for sure. Like, I was not prepared for the multiple arcs that happened. And then what what is with that guy in the last issue we read? Oh, right, the Beyonder. I have, like, he was just there. Okay. We're going to take a quick deviation from all things magical to explain what is the Beyonder. Okay. Because we could just do an episode on him. But quick summary. A few years before this, in the early 80s, it would have been right around 84, I think. Marvel did a crossover book called The Secret Wars. Okay. It was a direct tie into a toy line. Okay. Marvel was launching a toy line or with a line, and they're like, we should have a comic to go with this line and use all the characters from our toy line. Cool. But all of the characters was like, most of the X-Men, most of the Avengers, the Fantastic Four, Doctor Doom, most of the, like, uh, Le not Legion of the the Masters of Evil. Like, it was a huge, huge company line, toy line. That's insane. So the story that they come up with here, and this story was made up on the fly, was that a, uh, a creature called the Beyonder will... It whisks off all the good guys and all the bad guys. All the guys. <laughs> some of the gals. And some of the gals. <laughs> and Magneto sleeps with the wasp and we don't ever talk about it again. What? Yep. Not important to this. <laughs> but he takes all of the guys and the gals and he puts them on what is dubbed Battle World. And he sets them against each other. You know, as like kids would with their 
We toys. mentioned Battleworld a few uh, episodes back. This uh, is a earlier very different Battleworld. This is an is earlier this... incarnation of Battleworld. Okay. Uh, a few years back, they did a second, or not a second secret, a new Secret Wars series. Which okay. is way better. That takes a lot of the same ideas, but actually does something with it. Mm. Uh, it's the, nonsense, but it's way better. But the Beyonder unleashes the two sides against each other, and whoever wins shall get what they most desire. So Cosmic Child is he like... He promises play. desire. It's a kind of like old school Star Trek of random powerful being finds that, you know, Q mm. finds them and unleashes them on something. Um, well, I think your your child analogy is very apt because it was for a toy line. So it's basically exactly what the kids are going to be doing with their toys. And the Beyonder didn't really understand what was going on. Yes. So this series, which is awful, sells like hotcakes. Cool. So they immediately decide to do Black secret- Suit Spidey. Black Suit Spidey and Ven- the Venom symbiote did first appear in Secret Wars. Thank you. That is That's really cool. what is important about this. That's the- part of the reason why it sold like hotcakes, like <laughs> Black Suit Spidey. Yes. Uh, and everyone's like, we know it was bad, but, but it sold really well. So we're going to do Secret Wars 2. <laughs> Literally just call it that. This issue was a crossover. The one in question was a crossover for part of Secret Wars 2, mm-hmm. where instead of bringing things to his weird little planet... The Beyonder goes to Earth and gives himself human form. Mm. And he has like 80s Afro curly hair, but being very white at the same time. Mm-hmm. And um, like a white tracksuit, basically. It's not a tracksuit, but it's a leisure suit. Yeah, it's it looks bad. And interestingly, they haven't changed that character decision ever. Like. It used to at least it, like it was weird, but it would have been like part of the style of the time to mm-hmm. do it. When it appears now and he's still wearing that, you're like, what? What are you doing? Why? <laughs> <laughs> like, well, now there's Beyonders. Yes. Uh, the the same series that did the later Secret Wars that we mentioned mm. uses the Beyonders as a species and actually does stuff with them. But. Interesting. In this version, it's Beyonder going to Earth and causing havoc, and at one point murdering the New Mutants and then bringing them back alive because he was trying to figure out what mortality was. Yeah, he seems conflicted. Secret Wars 2 is so bad that they don't talk about it, and at one point implied that it was basically a fake game that the Beyonder set up on a different planet, and that wasn't the actual, like, Marvel Universe. That means I have to read this. That was also never explained again. <laughs> so I really have to read but, this. But um, you can read that on your own time. I'll say that <laughs> oh, for I you will. right now. <laughs> it's probably on the Marvel Unlimited app that you were using Almost for a lot assuredly. of stuff. <laughs> um, Almost assuredly. As much as I like Clea in this comic run, her like 80s pink workout suit with the headband mixed with her like classic look. All of the fashion in this is pretty f- terrible. Hers felt the most egregious to me. I wish that the people of the Dark Dimension, like, Orinai, when he's wearing his big weird helmet thing, it's nonsense, but it looks good. It looks, like, fun in that comic alternate thing. Everyone else could have been on, like, literally any science fiction show and not stuck out. It reminded me a little bit of the Time Lords, except helmet instead of collar. That's fair. Actually, it kind of looks like Omega, one of the yeah. uh, Time Lords. You're right. So I, I would have liked the fashion a little more of 
that Doctor Strange one from last week where he had the like blue cloak yeah. and that go for more that style of look for the dark dimension and I think would be like perfect mm. but keep that weirdo you know holes in the sky keep the rest of the feel of it that's what I'm saying also I learned that uh I can do without shirtless strange with the cloak of levitation same like you're not a fan of it or <laughs> not you a fan <laughs> my favorite part is they never explain why Strange decides that part of his way of sneaking in to the dark dimension will be to not wear his shirt. He's like, I'll grow up my beard and go shirtless. This will be fine. But then he wears a robe anyways. I've been bathing in things to create, make my aura different for days now. I've cut myself off off from the rest of this mystic energy that could be used to identify me. And, oh, gotta go shirtless as well. It was a thing that Neil Adams did with Batman a lot in, like, the late 70s. And no one really knows why Neil thought it was a great idea to have Batman take off his shirt, but still be wearing, like... The cowl? The cowl and the gloves and the uh, pants. What? It happens way more often than you would think. Also, Neil Adams gave Batman a very hairy chest. And there's, like, him... I see that. (laughs) Him with no shirt on... Sword fighting Rachel Ghoul in the desert. It's a very iconic image, but it's just insane. And I kind of wonder if I think it was Paul Smith doing the art on large parts of this. Um, I kind of wonder if Paul Smith was just like channeling his Neil Adams because that was a very good selling comic book at the time. And also, again, this is the mid 80s. The shirtless action hero was definitely a trope of the age. Mm But they usually don't keep their hats and gloves on when their shirts are off. (laughs) Well, that's on them. (laughs) Um, No, it makes no sense that Strange... And I mean, I was rereading this right before we started recording, and you guys were hearing me be like, but what? But why? Where is his shirt? So some of these older comics tend to have their own little pacing that you almost have to get used to if it's your first time through them. But beyond that, I, I kind of like this the classic approach to Strange and his magic a lot more. Um, what do you mean specifically? By the wands of Watum and having to say all the things? It's more, well, having to say all the things, but the saying all the things was much more of like, uh, you can tell just by how often and the way that it's done, it's a lot more of like a character branding thing, especially at this point in time. Mm-hmm. We're like, this is Doctor Strange. This is what he does. This is his character. He says this. He says this. He says this. We have to have him say the name of at least two or three of these spells, like every issue. It's kind of like Jordy and Techno Babble in Star Trek. But it's not the modern version where he's just like, cool, I need a spell that does this. Here's a spell. It's, no, you're using one of these eight spells. Mm, okay, I see what you're saying. Um... It's the Shield of Seraphrim, or it's the Winds of Watum, or... And you know you know what spells he has in, in his pocket at all times, rather than... There's a couple times it comes up through the course of the story, maybe three or four times, that he's just like, Okay, I can't use the Winds of Watum to grow my hair longer, but I can whip something up to grow my hair fast on a whim, because that's not the craziest magic ever. Um, and, like, I'll open portals willy-nilly without using, like, a, a special thing, but... 
from a creative standpoint, I kind of agree with you that it is a lot easier to have, like, here's limited spells. It's less things that you have to think of. He actually has to do the things. From the Sorcerer Supreme standpoint, it was always a little weird to me that as the Sorcerer Supreme, as the most powerful and knowledgeable wizard in our dimension, that he knew, like, six spells and how to punch somebody. The punching someone confuses me, too, because... His hands are supposed to be all jacked up, but he punches a lot of people in this. And if not, he's hitting them with a staff or he's kicking him or he's kicking. He likes his kicks. Yeah, I, I get what you mean with that. But I think I, I agree that it is a definite problem of modern strange sometimes to just be like, oh, you need literally anything. Bam. Magic, baby. Exactly. Hands for a That's what I don't like about modern strange. But I will agree with you completely on like. The power level seems really small for somebody who's supposed to be Sorcerer Supreme. Mm -hmm. But in this time period, I feel like like a lot of characters weren't quite as powerful as we think of them as usual today. Either, no, so. uh, especially with the rise of the major events. So Secret Wars or Crisis on Infinite Earths or the Onslaught or the Civil War or the Secret Invasion or the I could go on and on and mm -hmm. on. These bigger and bigger world-shaking things, it gets harder to bring them down to the lower power levels. Wolverine used to be taken out by, like, four bullets. He'd get better, but he was out of the fight. Now, you, you know, burn him to a skeleton in a nuclear bomb, and the next issue, he's fine. Mm -hmm. uh, Strange definitely had that same thing of explosion of power. From a D&D &D perspective, because I'm that nerd. I think of Strange as someone who has cross-classed in both, like, Sorcerer and Wizard, which would be a fun way of doing it. So, like, his Sorcerer stuff, the Winds of Watum, the Flame of the Faultine, the whatever. Mm -hmm. the, uh, those, are the those are the spells that he just knows. He has the knowledge of all of the other things, but he might need preparation stuff. He might need to, like, research it because he does, you know, rote memorization only takes you so far. Mm-hmm. As a personal thing, that might be, like, the best way to kind of try to find the balance between the two things we were talking about. If I were to write Doctor Strange, or if I were to get you to write Doctor Strange and draw Doctor Strange, because that's the thing I'm into in this. <laughs> the Dark Dimension looks so much fun to draw. Oh, yeah, Dark Dimension's cool. I like the, almost the meta-ness of using, uh... Like of the visuals of their their teleporting and their their opening portals mm -hmm. to be very akin to opening a page of a book. Mm. Also, a lot of the portals themselves kind of look like wormholes to mm -hmm. me. Like some of the stuff they're jumping through, so you're getting a bit of that like time and space being shattered around it, just bending reality. I loved it. I know you kind of hated it. Of Clea using the like earth sayings but they're all like super 80s because again this was written in the 80s earth sayings so you know won't you be my neighbor the pepsi generation uh, <laughs> i laughed so hard the pepsi generation is one that stands out real strong like they're mr rogers records. has made himself kind of timeless but <laughs> i laughed real hard and i had to think about it for a second and i was like Oh, yeah, Cleo's the one setting up these missions. This makes a lot more sense. <laughs> it is brilliant that, that, you know, random things that wouldn't be hard to remember that Umar would never know and would never even deem to figure out. 
I hadn't read this book in several years. It's interesting to me. I remember, and this is something I've just noticed about comics for me. I remember this being much bigger than it is. I remember the rebellion being way more difficult, the big fight being bigger, Umar being a much more like terrifying and powerful character. They take her out in two issues here. Her uh, plots of like tell everyone that she's secretly the or that she's the good guy while secretly being the bad guy is so transparent. But I took those like 40 pages and not reading it for 10 years was like, yeah, that was he. That was what? <laughs> <laughs> and then why didn't she just kill off the, the the rebels that she like consumed with the the portal the thing? Yeah, like the weird. Because she had to bond villain it. Yeah. Basically. Honestly. She, she should hadn't have. Read, she hadn't read the, the what is it, the, the evil overlord. Handbook. Handbook, <laughs> yeah. One on one. Kill them. <laughs> you expect me to talk? No, Mr. Bond. I expect you to die. <laughs> like it's, um, these days, I feel like they probably would have killed at least one rebel. Maybe a couple of them to like really up the stakes a little bit. Mm. But this was the 80s. Comics were still almost entirely geared towards kids. Uh, you know, teens at this point, but still largely for children. And they did try and avoid killing people as much as possible. That's fair. I mean, these days, Wolverine's dropping people like a ton. I know I'm mentioning Wolverine a lot today for a Dormammu episode, but you know, characters are, you know, the Punisher is a big character. They're dropping people a ton. But even in the first issue of this run, what was haunting Dane Whitman, the Black Knight, was having to kill. And three crusades. Yeah, he had a bad time. Yeah. <laughs> he had a bad time. Also, what? <laughs> I don't know a whole lot about him. <laughs> All I know is he's a crazy PTSD guy. Uh, he's kind of PTSD the character. Yeah. And then the next issue, he's just fine jogging on a boat. It's whatever. Because he had had, I mean... A little bit of time had passed. That wasn't their first day out on the cruise. He had had some time to relax. Like he was, he was out there. He was also having the fun. Evil he was getting ogled by to him all the time. <laughs> ogled by women. He was getting ogled by eighty percent of the people on that cruise because mm-hmm. he is just a strapping specimen of man. <laughs> also, a scientist somehow never really mentioned anymore. Now he's just like a swordsman, but he used to be a physicist. Oh, same with Captain Britain. That's a different episode. <laughs> uh, I, I like the Black Knight. He is kind of a walking mess. But if you play him that way, uh, lately they've been turning him a little too close to like insane and evil because of the influence of the sword. But that's only been within the last like five years kind of storytelling. I like him as a giant mess of a human being because his evil sword is telling him to do things. But he's not doing that. He's just being a hero instead. Mm. But I don't want him like 10 seconds from gibbering like a madman and stabbing people. I thought he cleansed the sword. Yeah, it doesn't stick. Cool. cool. <laughs> That's cool. Okay. <laughs> if you were ever confused by something in comics being like, I thought this happened. It, it didn't did. stick. <laughs> <laughs> or just it did. Why? That's how it worked. How did Umar and Mordo escape when Dormammu literally absorbed them into his body to steal their power? Yes. (laughs) Whoever took over after Peter B. Gillis 
forgot. Yeah, we're just going with it. I think it was Gillis. I don't know. That, that was from the 90s Strange series. I did find it interesting that even though this was not an author to that uh, emphasizes the cost of magic so much, mm-hmm. especially because this is a time period that in general does not emphasize the cost of magic as much. No, this is when he is incurring that big cost that they all get pissed off about later. There is still there's still a bit in these stories of magic being transactional mm-hmm. as it's still used as a tax on the planet. Yeah, that they're just stealing little bits of their energy and turning them into little balls. It did bother me that the rebels, like, the rebels are like, we're really mad that you're taking this life force or magic force or whatever as a tax. So we're going to steal it. And take it ourselves. And just keep it. <laughs> Good luck, guys. You, like, forgot the second half of the Robin Hood thing. <laughs> like, <laughs> n- no. We got it. Peace. <laughs> and there's like a throwaway line of like, we will use this to help you. And I get the argument, I guess, of like, we need something. But also, that was like Bob's. He was standing right there. Also, they never used it. Also true. They just took it and then that was it. That was it. Again, I think if this storyline happened today, it would be like, a 10 issue maxi series with like five different spinoffs. It'd be like into the dark dimension, Spider-Man into the dark dimension, ghost rider into the dark dimension, the dark dimension. (laughs) You laugh, but that actually doesn't sound wildly out of line for some of the spinoffs of big events. It would just be called something like, uh, the dark. I think that's already a show, but yes, (laughs) that also stops nothing. Yeah. Um, or the darkness, but that's also a comic. Anyway, <laughs> um, I really would, as I said, I mentioned earlier, really would love a series as much as I love that this crosses over into the Marvel series and freaking Spider-Man can pop up to help out sometimes and have them be like, what is happening right now? Um, a standalone thing in a fantasy world that was basically taking place always in the dark dimension, showing the like birth of this rebellion kind of setup uh, that we never really get. And we should. I thought it was neat that we got the backstory of Dormammu and Umar in here. And Their the, and very tweaked version. Yeah, of the... it, was a, it was a simplified one. Um, but the way they told the story, they kept not naming Dormammu. Like, that was the big twist at a certain point, like two-thirds of the way through. And then the elder one, Dormammu. <laughs> and then it's a storyline where then Dormammu doesn't show up after he was the big twist in the story. And it's like you could make these, the way this story was told, mirror the the bigger story. Mm-hmm. And that would have been cool. But Also, uh, Umar does say she was, like, captured by Dormammu. If that's the case, why didn't she just paint him in, like, a really bad light? Because she has the power to do that. And she's like, nah. Because these two are super addicted to their toxic relationship. That's so strange. Like, if we're going to be real honest about it, these two are terrible for each other and everyone around them. And this isn't just, like, you know, someone on Earth is addicted to their toxic relationship. That costs people and it's terrible and I'm not trying to understate that. Mm. But these people do it and, like, Mortal Kombat happens. (laughs) 
So it's like real bad. And will that make Clea a faultine? Heart faultine. So does she have some of the similar abilities? She's a pretty baller sorcerer in this that could like... I mean, beyond just being an apprentice of the Sorcerer Supreme, and at one point she's called the Sorcerer Supreme of the Dark Dimension. Interesting. Well, and, and they very indirectly hint that her becoming such a more powerful sorceress so quickly in the Dark Dimension is probably tied to the fact that she's also... Um, she's part Faltine and she's part Mahuruk. Right. Who, uh, just... who are all magical creatures by nature. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, and then she gets the power of the crown, mm. which means she is like, you know, Umar as as people were losing faith in Umar, she was losing power and the crown was diminishing. So if Clea now has that crown, it would stand to reason that she's now getting a portion of the power of every member of the Dark Dimension in the same way mm. of their belief in her or whatever, which might be why they keep wanting the Dark Dimension, even though... It's a weird fractured archipelago of anguish. <laughs> Such an awesome name. Every time. Oh, yeah. Uh, I hate it. I'm not going to lie. But I, love <laughs> I know <it>. you do. <laughs> That's not the point. It's not supposed to actually sound good. Oh, dark dimensions are so cool. Sorry. No, that's fine. This is a pretty classic trope of science fiction. I don't, I'm sure that Doctor Strange is not the first one to do it, but I think Doctor Strange probably brought this concept much more into the mainstream so other things like Mortal Kombat could pick up on it. I I can't say for sure that like, oh, this inspired Mortal Kombat, but I would not be at all surprised. Yeah, I guess I've never looked into uh, the nerdy habits of Boone and Tobias, but I've played their games, I'm willing to bet. Yeah, (laughs) they make a lot of references. Anyway, yeah, I just wanted more Dormammu, I guess. But this was a cool story. I really liked this, actually. I'm... The the reason I picked this was admittedly because it didn't have Dormammu, just because Dormammu is there all the freaking time. And there's a lot of really great Dormammu mm-hmm. stories, don't get me wrong. But I wanted to, one, go to the Dark Dimension, and two, uh, show the characters that we're less likely to know. Like, you know, real question. Did you know Umar was a thing before this comic? We saw her vaguely. That's right. We saw her briefly where she was an ally, but... Yeah, basically barely. Yeah. So I wanted to put a little bit of focus on her and one where she doesn't sleep with the Hulk because I have three Umar stories. I mean, there's many more, but like the ones that I, you know, have access to. And she slept with the Hulk in two of them. Okay. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I don't need to see Hulk smash. I think we're good. On that charming note, do we have any last thoughts on Into the Dark Dimension? Oh, the very last issue. Floated. <laughs> <laughs> um, the Fantastic Four and their kid. Franklin Richards. Yeah. Obliterates, what's his face? The Baron or something? I'm not. And then. I just read this. I might have gone one too far then. And then like that lady crawls out of hell because it's like falling apart. That might have been one too far. Yeah, it was one too far. I have no idea what. Oh. The, okay, I've been reading the physical copy. You've been reading the uh, Marvel Unlimited, so that makes me feel much better about how prepared I was for this. <laughs> um, I don't know 
but Franklin is an Omega level mutant, so he is like the most powerful thing in existence. Yeah, he killed like a, a Lord of Hell, which is like, I don't like you. Yeah, he basically becomes Galactus someday in future stories. Like, cool. Galactus was the last survivor of the last universe. Mm. Franklin will be the last survivor of this one. Mm-hmm. He outlasts the Watchers. He outlasts literal immortals. <laughs> I do like that, um, going back to the run that we're going through, um, Doctor Strange like contemplated killing that, that being. Just like, this shouldn't be here. Like, should, should I gank this dude? Yeah, like no, I am a doctor, <laughs> but I kind of want to gank him. This <laughs> only can end poorly. And then he has like a vision of the second, <laughs> second one. He's like, I should have killed this guy. <laughs> that's on me. Yes. <laughs> uh, that's about it. It's uh, this one was a lot faster. The pace was really quick. Yes, compared to the last couple. Uh, Comic books read. used to be one and dones. This was when they were just starting to expand to like larger ongoing stories being the more primary part of the comic as opposed to, you know, 10 issues. Who's the secret bad guy? Mm. Um, But you can tell by just how often they feel in these early times that they have to put in that page note of C issue 69. Or like previous issue and they're like. Which still comes up and is still a very good thing that comics do, but you'll notice they spread those out more. I think Stan Lee was the one that started that, and it was one of the things that really made Marvel feel special because it, like, believed and owned its history, while DC at the time, DC Silver Age, didn't really bother with that. Just, Mm -hmm. sure, we can have stuff that happened before, but, like... And it'll be referenced, but we're not going to tell you. Telling the, the no one had ever really tried to do a fully cohesive universe. Mm-hmm. Um, and I mean, we're taking this to an even more extreme attempt by trying to tell you what magic in the Marvel universe is. When you've read three books, you already know that it means whatever that author wants it to mean at the time. I think the quote from Briggs from the very first episode is this still the most accurate. There's no rules to break because magic has no rules. Mm-hmm. I will. I mean, I think. Uh, Eventually, when we move away from more strange-focused books, though, you'll see how how there's no rules, but it tends to be used in different ways for certain characters. Okay. Hell tends to work in certain hell ways. And, like, if you go back to these, you'll be like, oh, look, it's the strange rules. Like, just the, the strange pacing, even across four decades of comics that we're looking at now. Mm. And he tells a very different style of stories, but they're still the same kind of, like, who Strange is showing through. Next episode, we're going to look at it as the Doctor Strange movie and see... We're not 100% how this episode's going to go down yet because we've not done this before. I'm looking at you two like this is a surprise to you guys. Uh, but we will definitely discuss the the differences in how they do it on movie form and why they might choose to do that as opposed to the comic book. Mm. And things we like and didn't like. Yes. I'll kind of just be a review of the movie, too. I'm not a big of the, like, well, this is how it's supposed to be in the comic, but it is fun to, like, look at the differences. Mm-hmm. The movie was my initial, like, introduction to Strange. So now that I've... The movie was a lot of people's initial, which 
It's one of those things I forget as someone who reads as many comics as I do. I've been like, I've been reading Strange for like 15 years. How do you people not know who this guy is? And like, I don't know, man. Never, like, Never seen him. <laughs> um, yeah, I'm excited because I haven't watched it since it came out. So I'm excited to go back now with like this recent knowledge and be like, I think I've only seen it once since it came out and it's been a while. So it should be fun. The last time I watched it, I was extremely not sober. Um, <laughs> uh, I'm told that's the way to do anything, Doctor Strange. You know, I couldn't focus on it as well. I actually preferred the experience sober. But okay. we can talk about that more when we talk about the movie. Yeah. Proud tradition of Doctor Strange. <laughs> um, I don't know. I thought I had something, but okay. I'm, I don't. <laughs> okay. I guess see you next week. <laughs> Aloha. <laughs> Thank you for listening to this episode of New Byland. If you like the show, please hit subscribe. Also, if you could rate and review us however you're listening to us right now, that would also be super helpful. As always, we are part of the Earworm Podcast Network and would greatly appreciate it if you could go check out all of our sister shows over at earworm.com. That's E-A-R-V-V-Y-R-M.com. A big special thanks to Ian Ford for our theme song and music. We'll catch you next time. <laughs>